0: Today, we have a very special guest, a history teacher colleague, uh, who I met a few years back at a California Council of Social Studies uh, conference, and we've stayed in contact ever since. I get a lot of inspiration from him and his innovative ideas, uh, Scott Petrie.
1: All right. Hello, Chris. Hello, everyone. Uh, My name is Scott Petrie. I am a secondary high school to secondary social studies teacher at John F. Kennedy High School in Granada Hills, California. Uh, Our school is what's called a medical magnet. It's a specialized program. We're a little school of about 500 students on a big campus of 2,500 students. And we try to make our content, our subject matter, Uh, interdisciplinary in nature. So sometimes I'm working with the AP chemistry teacher. Sometimes I'm working with a bio teacher or an English teacher. And we're really trying to do the two-for-one special of, okay, we're going to learn about the scientists in history and we'll look at the historical context and then we'll look at their accomplishments through literature and things like that. So I've been a teacher with LAUSD for Gosh, this is going on 19 or 20 years, and uh, prior to that, I had careers in the golf course industry and in the entertainment industry, and I've always been one of those ADHD kids that I figured every five or six years, I'd change careers, and the nice thing about education is you get a do-over every year, just when you're really, those kids are really starting to get on your last nerve, they go away, and you get a whole new crop, yeah. So. Yeah, so
0: um, Scott and I met, um, I think it was, I can't remember, three or four years ago at a uh, California Council of Social Studies, and we hit it off right away. We have a lot of similar uh, philosophies and teaching, technology, and I think life in general, and uh, you know, I always look to him with his expertise, uh, with his teaching. He's uh, uh, always coming up with um, some great uh, lessons, great strategies, And he's very in tune with his students um, and what works in the classroom. So we go back, we go back to the spring of 2020 when we were given that sudden notification that we're going distance learning and we had no idea what it was. What was your approach back then, Scott?
1: Well, uh, yeah, going back, it was like on a Friday, and I think maybe we had a day or two's notice that Friday we're gonna be out for two weeks. So unplug the fridge in your classroom and take your perishables home and, you know, you don't have to clean up. You don't have to do anything serious because we'll be back in two weeks. And then I don't think we set back foot back in the classroom for 18 months. Uh, Mm -hmm. I did. I did manage to teach a face to face summer school cohort. And we in LAUSD, we've just finished our first week of face-to-face instruction for the 21-22 school year. And that was, it was actually great. Uh, You know, kids are happy to be there and they want to be in school. And, you know, I like to do icebreakers and stuff the first uh, week or two of school to get to know them because a lot of times there might be some movement. They might switch from second period to fourth periods. They might transfer out to another teacher so I've learned don't jump into content do the relationship building and the getting to know you so that you can figure out who's who and really connect with your students but
0: yeah that's that's definitely um, anybody that's taught secondary knows that the first week is a lot of shuffling it's like you take the cards and shuffle them all over the place and kids are moving and yeah and I, I think that approach that you were talking about getting to know the students I think and in light of all that's going on now, and we were just talking about this before we um, we came on, is uh, that's so important now. So important now. So is that something that you were more intentional over, um, let's say, the last school year and then this school year as well? So let me
1: jump back and answer your first question because I think yeah. I ducked and avoided it. But uh, the whole pandemic learning, um, as, as I kind of reflect on it, um, for me... With my students, uh, I was successful with about eighty percent of them. They showed up right. every day, they did the work, and I know you're familiar with the EDU Ed, protocols books yes. from, uh, John Car- protocols. Yeah, from John Carippo and Marlene Hayburn. Um, I, I relied on those heavily during the distance learning, and what I liked about them is it allowed me to hear from each kid each day. So there was some degree of collaboration, but the students had to report out each day. And what I like about the Edu protocol format is often the teacher is holding this sort of master slide deck and you can scroll through it and each kid has to talk and report out.
0: Mm-hmm. So
1: that really kept me connected to my kids. And uh, I also am, am part of a click group, the CLIC, the Content Literacy Inquiry and uh, Oh, no, my gosh, I'm going to forget the last C. But was it it's collaboration? a collaboration? Yeah, it's, it's a yeah. collaborative, and it's, it was yeah. run through um, Sacramento Action Civics, and I got involved through Michelle Herzog at LACO. But she had, they had uh, funding and got a bunch of us, like 30 or 40 teachers, to all put together distance learning lessons for every grade level and so i did like four or five of those for high school level world history and us history and one of the you know i uh, one of the ones i did was on the the panama canal and right. it took, kids through, uh, yeah, it took kids through yeah uh, took kids through who really built the panama canal and one of my favorite my favorite uh reflections on that is uh i i had the kids build these museum exhibits and Unfortunately, when they turned it into Schoology, which is my district's LMS Schoology kind of freezes the document and turns it into a PDF instead of letting you click through the links that the students Mm -hmm. have embedded in it so i realized like oh my god i can't click through and see how many artifacts they included and what they thought of the uh the, their exhibit this is really going to limit how i can grade it so i added on another piece where they had to show their parents they had to essentially do a Flipgrid video mm-hmm. and show their parents the exhibit and that was just so heartwarming and wonderful to bring these parents in and mm-hmm. for the parents to see how hard the kid works, because right. I'm sure to a lot of parents, they're not on top of their kids all the time. They don't know if they're working or playing video games. Uh, so to see that they were actually working and they did create something that was an in, in incredible intellectual work, uh, that was very, I think, heartening for both me and the parents. And so that mm-hmm. was one of my my favorite takeaways, my biggest takeaways from the distance learning, the pandemic learning. And what I'm going to do this year is I want kids every five weeks or so to present something that they've done in my class that they're proud of Mm -hmm. and just explain to the parents what the lesson was, what they learned from it, how long did it take them? And, you know, I don't think we're going to be able to go back and have a back to school night or a parent conference night with the Delta right. variant. So, having the student do like a five or 10 minute conversation on Flipgrid uh, is the next best thing because I can really see the family dynamic. Uh, I can see the, the parents who are kind of skeptical of that their student really worked hard on it. And then I can see I've, I've just seen some great conversations where parents are like, oh, my gosh, I didn't even learn about the Armenian genocide when I was in high school. Mm-hmm. I'm so proud of you for tackling this difficult subject. Yeah and uh, that that has been a game changer and it's all you know kind of what they're talking about in that Doug Fisher book the rebounding from student mm-hmm. learning is you know how do we give students more agency how yes. do we embed more metacognition and reflection into the work they're doing so that they can connect it to other things and make it more meaningful
0: Yeah I like I I really like that idea I I um last year I did a couple assignments. One because of my students were in Santa Ana. Uh, we were looking at, we actually, I took a uh, one of Amanda Sandoval's lessons and modified it. And um, I had my students um, interview their um, parents and we're, we're talking about migration, how people get here. And they, they did it on Flipgrid and presented it as well. And that was one of my favorite um, lessons is a lot of my I had a lot of buy-in with that and right. the parents were very good about providing the information. So I, I think it goes back to what you were saying, that that student agency and the fact that whatever the students are producing, it can't be just a production for you, the teacher. It has to be a global production in some sense. It has to go beyond the school walls. and. That's when I think we get the best buy-in from our students because they, they have that agency and they know it's going out there. And I like that real that idea of connecting the parents. I think that's really uh, powerful. And I, that that is something that you see time and time again with them. Um, you know, a lot of the literature that's come out uh, over the last year or so that that's so important. I like that. Uh, AJ Giuliani talked about like create things like uh, public service. Um, PSAs, you know, when students produce something, I I like that idea.
1: Yep. So that is a really interesting topic. And there has been, uh, two, two new studies that have come out recently about how service learning really improves, uh, students, social, emotional learning and Mm -hmm. gives them a sense of purpose. Uh, We now have a a new initiative, the State Seal of Civic Engagement that our high school students can get on their diploma. And really, uh, the Department of Ed means for it to be applicable to all students. So kindergarten Mm -hmm. students can do it. Middle school students can do it. High school students can do it. And that, I think, is kind of uh, an often forgotten and neglected Uh, Aspect of social studies and our zeal to cover as many of the content standards as we can, we kind of give a short shrift sometimes to that service learning or community Mm -hmm. service aspect. And uh, there have been several calls from uh, major political interest groups about reviving that, especially as a way to connect our kids to communities in the wake of all the isolation they've gotten from pandemic learning. Right. So, uh, yeah, I'm looking into how do we reinvigorate that? And uh, my suggestion is, hey, I think we start with that. We should start with service learning in every grade and in every Mm -hmm. class. And that's a way we can build the interdisciplinary instruction and interdisciplinary processes into every grade level for our kids. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, there's ways they can do an interview and then transcribe the interview and the Te- English teacher can assess you know uh how accurate is their transcription and um there, there's so much work they can do and in, in service learning and how it really it does it's authentic PBL that brings the content to life and makes students really uh you know, discover what's important to themselves, discover uh, about their values and about their um, ethics and what are the things that are important to them, what are the issues they care about. And by, by the way, all kids, all grade levels, they all have something that they're concerned about yes. and they want to engage and they want to be considered adults when they talk about that stuff.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I know that um, we did something with – because the the content I was teaching U.S. history, you uh, know, I told the students that when we when I studied slavery forty years ago, there really wasn't a lot of material. I said, so I want you to pick a, a somebody who was a, enslaved, and using primary source documents, I want you to tell their story through a PSA. And they did it on Flipgrid and yeah. Flipgrid and Adobe Spark, and they liked that because one they. They had that choice, that whole idea yeah. of choice boards. They had that agency, and then they got they had that production. So incorporating those 21st century skills um, was important for them. And I, I agree. It, it this is something that it just can't be um, secondary. It has to be all all grade levels.
1: Mm-hmm. And we really need to work on, and this is especially problematic in high school where they have so many subjects the chemistry, the physics, the mm-hmm. um, all the um, AP Englishes and stuff like that. Uh, I, I think we need to start knocking down the silos and making, Mm -hmm. uh, eliminating the subjects. I mean, I know that's heresy and I'll get, uh, (laughs) you know, lampooned for that. But honestly, it's not doing anybody any favors. And, you know, you don't 10 years after graduation uh, look back and say, wow, that that one English class really helped me to apply it to this. (laughs) It's like only when you use all of the skills and all of the disciplines you're being taught.
0: Yeah, I think that when you you just said that the skills that that you take the skills into the content and if you apply those those critical thinking skills. I know in history, we have various skills that we always want to focus on and that the students can those are transferable from grade level to grade level. As you said that, you know, what if they learned about, you know, Manifest Destiny in eighth grade and so what they're 25 years old and are they thinking about Manifest Destiny? Probably not. Uh, but do those skills they have that they, um, if, especially if they're reinforced year after year, those are going to be something they're going to be using for the rest of their lives. So, um, did you, uh, at, over the last year and maybe even this year, was there any type of technology, new things that you experimented with? And I know you talked about Flipgrid, how you've, you've been able to uh, take it to another level.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, I think Flipgrid is a wonderful tool. It's just a video response system that helps you really see and hear your students, and it helps you assess their speaking skills. Um, you know, I, I've been using Flipgrid, I think, since 2016. And right. so my, my work, at first, I went totally overboard and was making the kids do Flipgrids every week, and they hate, they <laughs> soon hated it and hated yeah. me. And now I try to make it a little bit more meaningful with like a reflection tool. Um, I've also found that a lot of kids, uh, you want to get them talking, uh, but there's some camera shy kids and they don't want to show their face. And so I know Flipgrid now has a way that you can turn off the camera. Um, it' just be an audio recording but I do like doing the first-person podcasts and having kids you know the BBC released like an archive of 30,000 sound effects from I think World War one and World War two wow and so I would have my kids go in and do these first-person research papers but instead of writing it up and typing it up as like an English paper they record it on uh, an audio platform as a first-person podcast so like they were Mm -hmm. the person in history that they were researching. Mm -hmm. And so even if a kid is kind of doing a lot of cutting and pasting from a person's biography, they then have to do the heavy lifting of becoming that person and transferring it all, all the writing into the first person. Usually Mm -hmm. most biographies are third person. So there's a, they they think that they're getting away with something by just cutting and pasting, but there's a lot of rewriting that they have to do. And I think Mm -hmm. that's, that's the literacy heavy lift. And then when you hear kids telling the story, you can hear the kids that really tried to put a lot of effort into it, uh, and they have great sound effects, and their tone of voice, they get excited, and they start yelling, and uh, you can hear the differences between those and the kids who just read it off a piece of paper with absolutely no inflection. And so um, I, I have done a lot of that. You know, the interesting thing I'm looking at now for a course I'm teaching called AP Research, and AP Research is a curious animal of a course because the teacher is really not allowed to grade much, um, but the ki- the students have to turn in um, a research paper, like a 6,000 word research paper that's 75% of their grade, mm-hmm. and then 25% of their grade is a 20-minute presentation where they defend that paper. Uh, in front of a committee of three people. So what I really want my students in that class to do is to be able to speak confidently and clearly about almost anything uh, so that they can, you know, easily defend the, the writing they're doing. And there's a new tool in Microsoft uh, PowerPoint called Mm -hmm. uh, presenter coach. Mm -hmm. And they They click on the slide and they start presenting their slides through PowerPoint on the web and the computer gives them feedback. It tells them how many words they mispronounced. It tells them how many times they used filler words like ah, ah, ah or um, um, um. Uh, And it gives them some sort of grade, like sort of a fluency. If you you read Mm -hmm. 120 words per minute or you read 80 words per minute. Um, And so it gives them some... A measurable data that they can go back to again and again. And so my thought is to use this like once a month and see if I can use that to capture their improvement over time when it comes to giving presentations. Uh, um, the nice thing it does too is it also tells them if they're reading words directly off the slide. It matches it to the slides. oh, says, oh, oh no, you got to stop that. You can't do oh, that. Oh, wow,
0: that's, that's, that's what, that's what... At conferences or staff meetings, yep. don't please don't read to me. <laughs>
1: right. So uh, that's called presenter coach, and uh-huh. they also have a, a reading fluency sort of tutor, and that is where you you give the kid a reading, and the computer again measures essentially their reading level what Uh grade they're reading it at, and then how proficient they are at reading. And they're actually using the Flipgrid technology, but they're embedding it into a PowerPoint type of platform. Mm -hmm. And so uh, I think that's smart and it's going to give Microsoft a competitive advantage in education, which they've lacked for a few years, while Google has kind of taken Google and Apple have jumped to the front. Um, But what I I like about both of those tools, and I use a variety of automated essay scoring systems too, um, is that takes the onus off of you as the teacher. You're not... Uh I didn't give Chris a C because I don't like Chris, which is really how the student usually perceives it. You know, Petrie gave me a C minus because he doesn't like me. Um, Instead, it's the computer giving them a grade. It's the computer Mm -hmm. giving them feedback. And what the computer does beautifully that we can't is it can also tell you where you are in amongst this population. So Mm -hmm. using those tools, I can say, look, out of the 35 people in this class, you are here. And then right. they have to go and they have to figure out, okay, what are the things I need to improve and how can I get Petrie to help me improve them? So you become yeah. more of a coach instead of the guy who's leaving nasty comments and in red ink on their papers.
0: And that, that kind of uh, encapsulates that whole personalized learning concept because they, they are getting feedback over the course of a, a, a year and this is something they could say, oh, I need to work on my fluency. I need to work mm-hmm. on my presentation skills. Um, that, that's. I could see where that could be tremendously powerful.
1: And I tell you, video doesn't lie. And video is a cruel feedback mechanism. When I watch myself on video uh, in front of my classes, I'm shocked at how sarcastic and rude I am. I'm shocked at how I do the ocean buoy and rock myself back and forth like I'm trying to put myself to sleep. Um, there's just so much stuff that video reveals. Um, mm-hmm. and so putting putting the students on video and having them do some sort of self-assessment or peer review of those presentations, uh, I think that's going to create a lot of growth in those classes.
0: Mm-hmm. All right. Well, it's, uh, you, you've definitely covered a, a lot of areas. Um, Talked about your changes, the changes you made. Uh, we looked at the technology and, um, yeah, as always, Scott, this uh, you know you you are a, a wealth of knowledge and but definitely I'd, I would love to be in your class just so forward thinking and you know your use of uh, you even though sometimes you downplay your use of technology I think you've done a pretty good job of using it and just the you know the the topics that your students are doing that whole thing with the Panama Canal and. Um, basically reteaching it, I, I think is super powerful.
1: Well, thank you. I, I didn't even get to talk about my favorite topic, which is the, the, the sort of uh, literacy issues that I do with my English teachers, where we, mm-hmm. we together, we pick a book that we're going to read in both classes, and okay. the English teacher gets to cover rhetorical devices, and I get to cover the histori- historical context and have the students do some fact-checking and sourcing and corroborating, uh, and we have really, you know, I've missed that for the last two years I haven't been able to give them books and send them home with the kids so I like all, all teachers are hoarders and I've hoarded this collection of class class set of books and I'm happy that this year we're going to be getting back and diving uh, having kids dive into at least uh, two books per semester in addition to the regular content of class.
0: Mm-hmm. And yeah, my wife said to me the other day, she said, you don't teach anymore. So why are you getting books like you ordered the Edge of Protocols or something? And I had a couple other books. Said, You're out of the classroom. Why? Are you, what's with you? One's <laughs> the yeah. teacher always the teacher? It's an addiction. And that's one of the things I found out
1: about the pandemic that I was shocked in is usually I read about 30 or 40 books a year from my Amazon purchases. Mm-hmm. Uh, and during the pandemic, six And Mm. what I figured out is a lot of the books I read, uh, I'm listening to them in the car as I'm driving back and forth to work. And since I didn't drive back and forth to work with a lovely LA commute, (laughs) I didn't read that many books during the pandemics.
0: That's all we have on this episode of EdTech and Things Related. Um, next episode, we'll be talking to Eric Peterson, award-winning teacher of the year in the state of California, and talking about his transition from middle school to high school and what he has done in the areas of technology. How has teaching has changed during the pandemic?